Yeah. The whole point We're is, like, oh, who are we going to bring in? We're going to bring in uh, Jordan Clarkson to run the team when Jalen's off the court. You're going to like torpedo the uh, like the offense enough or, and the defense enough that like Jalen's coming in on the court not to like build a lead or maintain a lead to like make up for the deficit that you put the team in with Jordan Clarkson on the court. If you just had Brunson again, you wouldn't need Randall. Like that's my that's my contention at least. Obviously, I could this is a hypothetical and I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just saying what my intuition says, but this is this is the point that I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I have no further thoughts besides no other podcast <laughs> has ever had this conversation ever. This this <laughs> this, this is absurd. Um <laughs> This is Hot Hand Theory. This is a podcast where we talk about the NBA and break things down from an analytical perspective. I'm your co-host, XJ. As always, he is my brilliant co-host, Jeff. Jeff, we're back on our usual schedule this week, and it is a great time to be following and covering the Knicks. Um, You know, we're coming off a loss to the Lakers, which we'll talk about. But in the calendar year, the Knicks are 15-3, and still one of the hottest teams in the game of basketball, second best net rating in the game, plus uh, 14.6 after the Cavs in the calendar year, who I want to talk about them briefly as well. But Nick's seventh in offense in 2024, second in defense this year. And that's with Rando and OG both mi- myth- missing the last four games and Quentin Grimes missing the last two. Pretty incredible stuff. What are your general thoughts about the Knicks and what do you make of this stretch of basketball for them? This is a super exciting time to get back to our normal schedule because you know, the vibes are good. The Knicks have won nine of the last 10. But we kind of hit a stretch there where it was like they, they were so good and, and they were so consistently playing like the Knicks that it was just like, what do we even talk about? You know, like it was just like, like can we just fast forward? Can we fast forward to the playoffs so we can finally have something that's like to break down? And finally, this Lakers game gave us like a, okay, like I know the Knicks were down three of their you know, three of their rotation pieces, two of their three best players, three of their best shooters. But we can't lie that, or we we can't deny that even when the Knicks are fully healthy, Tom Thibodeau does like lineups that look maybe not as drastic as they did against the Lakers in terms of lack of shooting, but he does like to run heart with a center out there. And I think the Knicks really saw for the first time what Jalen Brunson is going to have to work against in lineups like that, like what defenses are capable of doing because Darvin Ham and the Lakers had a really, really, really good defensive scheme uh, in place against Jalen Brunson, which was basically just don't let him, you know, don't, don't let him do anything. Like pretty much the only time he saw one defender was when he got matched up against LeBron and that was it. Like, and, LeBron like played really good defense, which he's capable of doing uh, less frequently now because he's older. But, you know, if he locks in on a possession, he's as capable as anyone's ever been. Um, I think that it really, really amplified and shined a light on the value of spacing. I don't know. Maybe I'm being a little bit drastic there. What do you think? <laughs> I can't tell if you're if you're being facetious or not, but the, the, the facetious part being you can't tell if you're <laughs> exaggerating there because obviously I would say that like I fully right. agree. <laughs> um, I, <laughs> I, I think spacing is the most critical part of the game of the modern game of basketball um, and, and really good spacing. And I, I think it's non-viable to have three starters or rotation players um, all in there and lineups who can't shoot or who are essentially non-shooters and um, I mean, you're making some good points about kind of heart and a center. At the same time, I, I do think there's that's still a viable lineup, depending on how you play it, who you run them out there with. I don't think there's a way that I mean, you we signed Josh Hart. Josh Hart's going to play. Josh Hart's going to play big minutes, and a center's going to play. Like we know that from the Tibbs philosophy that those lineups are going to be out there. I just think my concern about the Lakers' loss is the fact that they effectively went with the same approach, where it's like rebounds are more important than spacing and scoring efficiency. And we got some evidence in the playoffs last year that this approach can work against teams with poor, uh, poor offenses, but it's not necessarily going to be the most effective approach against teams who can score even somewhat competently. 
right? Um, and, and the concerning thing to me is that they're willing to consistently throw out those lineups that feature three mediocre to bad shooters in order to get rebounds. And I looked up some data about this, the some lineup data. Um, the starting lineup without Randall and OG, so Brunson, DiVincenzo, Hart, Precious, and Hartenstein, they're a plus 7.1 per 100 possessions in 160 total possessions, which sounds great. You're like, wow, that's tremendous. That lineup must be awesome. Um, the problem is when you realize that lineup has been so good because they're scoring 129 points per 100. <laughs> For what you would think is a defensive lineup, the defense has actually been giving up 121.6 points per 100 and an effective field goal, of, effective field goal percentage of 62.2% which is in the eighth percentile of all lineups. It's Their defense has been terrible with that lineup. So you're like, okay, well, this lineup that sounds like a defensive lineup has actually been bad at defense and has been amazing at offense. Let's look a little closer at that. That sounds weird. Um, on the offense, as you would imagine, the shooting has been bad with a 52% effective field goal percentage. That's, that's really bad. Um, but they are, as they did last year at points, crushing the chances battle with an extremely low turnover rate, an extremely high offensive rebound rate. So I, you know, I cautioned about this approach last year. Uh, famously, I said on Knicks Film School that the Knicks offense is rat fake. Um, I really said that they're fake, but uh, Andrew Claudio added the rat fake at some point. I don't know how that happened. Um, but as fun as it is, I think to have this really interesting way to play the numbers game with possessions and extra chances, like... I think it's still a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I don't believe it's sustainable. You know, I think it's cool and I think it's sustainable over the regular season because they did it last year. But, you know, in the playoffs, we saw that it can get exposed. And, and I think that Lakers showed us a way that it can get exposed. And, you know, right now, obviously, it doesn't matter a ton how they keep things afloat, uh, you know, with the guys that they have without OG, without Randall, um, besides what it's doing to their minutes, of course, <laughs> that that part is concerning. But my concern is just that a lesson was not learned that offensive efficiency, not just offensive rating, um, but how efficient you are at putting the ball in the hoop is critical and should be prioritized over manufacturing offensive effectiveness the way that they've done with um, rebounding, low turnover rates and, and, and playing the game that way. So that's 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 the concern for me. Yeah. And I think uh, so. First of all, for those who don't know, the Knicks are actually number one in the NBA and offensive rebound percentage. They um, just recently just passed the Utah Jazz. So that, you know, highlights XJ's point about, I mean, they're getting over a third of potential offensive rebounds across the season, which is bananas. Um, but I think what you're saying highlights a point that I've often made about Thibodeau and uh, the Knicks coach, Tibbs, Tom Thibodeau for, people anyone who might not know i don't know why you'd be listening to this if you don't know who their coach is but welcome if you if you don't if you don't <laughs> we welcome you um, yes <laughs> yeah um something i've often said about him is he he tries to build a team that wins one way and he's really good at you know basically designing a scheme on both sides of the ball that can be good to really good over the course of a season, over the course of a playoff series. But if you've watched the NBA playoffs, you have to, to, to get to the highest level, you have to win four series. And it's really, really hard unless your team is just way better than everybody else to win four playoff series, you know, one way. Eventually there's going to be a team that is going to be able to take away your strengths. And there has to be an adjustment or a, a willing adjustment or an ability to take a punch and roll with it and win a different way. And I think XJ, what you're trying to reflect here is uh, a bit of a worry that the Knicks aren't going to be prepared to take a punch that the second somebody takes away their ability to get offense rebounds, their offense is just going to fall off a cliff again. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think the cool thing about the Knicks roster and, and including if and even if they don't make a move is that they're stacked. Like, I don't think that's I don't think people realize that the Knicks roster is incredible, right? Like at the high end, you have Jalen Brunson as their best player who may not be the best player on a lot of teams, but would still be the best player on some teams for sure. So he's not like the worst best player in the league by any means. 
And then under that, you have you have Hartenstein, OG, Randall, if and hopefully he comes back healthy, DiVincenzo, Mitch, who may come back healthy, Quentin Grimes, McBride, Precious, and Josh Hart. No team in the NBA has 10 guys who are at the, like at that level. Like no one does. It's no it's not even close. So it's really just about how do we mix and match these guys to maximize what they can do based on like you said, Jeff, based on who the opponent is and if we need to win in different ways. If we need to win with rebounding, guess what? We got the guys to do that for sure. We know that. We can dominate the boards on both ends if we need to. If we need to win in another way with some with better spacing, with better offensive efficiency, can we do that? We have the players to do it. We have DiVincenzo. We have Quentin Grimes. We have Deuce McBride. We have OG Ananobi. There are players to do it, but is the coach going to be willing to deploy the right players in the right style to approach a game in that way? That's the question. Or is Thibodeau always going to try to win in the same way that he always tries to win? Like that's that's the question for me. I think that the Knicks have the horse. The, I don't want to call players horses that Knicks have the players to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't like that for some reason. It's probably silly, but <clears throat> I, I think the Knicks have the players to do it, but it just there needs to be some flexibility for when we have to win a different way, as you suggested. And that's what I'm concerned about. Yeah. And it's just tough because we basically just spend regular seasons. I mean, this is going to be the third time in four seasons when we just compile evidence that the way Tibbs wants the team to play works more often than it doesn't work. Exactly. Yeah. You know, so it's like he is getting reinforcement that like, Hey, like the results are pretty good. Like we're just going to keep stick. But, But if you look at, if you, if you look around the league and watch other teams besides the very top, like there are two teams I would say right now in the NBA who are mo- who who aren't searching for answers at all, and that's the Nuggets and the uh, the Celtics, of course. Um, I like I watch the Nuggets, and I basically am watching the same. Like when the Nuggets are healthy, you know they're they're going to run the Murray Jokic pick and roll. They're going to run through Jokic. They know what they're doing. But I I actually think even more so than the Celtics, no team in the league knows exactly what it wants to do more. But you watch other you know fringe contender teams that are playing night in and night out even a team as good as the thunder and i see them searching for answers i see them trying new things i watched you know thunder raptors uh last night and the uh, the thunder are without jalen williams and i know that's of course going to adjust the rotation but they weren't you know they don't have just like a standard closing lineup they were throwing different guys out there going small going big they're just trying to see what is going to stick when the games matter? What, what trying to just search for answers. And I've never really gotten that feeling from Tibbs. I've never really felt like he's throwing something out there because he wants to see if it's going to work down the line. It, it almost feels like the, the only times he experiments is it's like a quick fix for one game because somebody's hurt, but he really knows that he wants to go back to the thing that he, he knows work. So, I mean, I don't know. I I don't know how you feel, Akshay. I, I I didn't. I don't want to have the Tim the overall tips conversation. I actually think that should pretty much be in the past. I've reached a point where like it's going to be really hard to reach the end of this season and be like, I think the solutions at head coach. I don't know if you've wavered off that, but I've almost completely wavered off that because I just can't argue with the overall goodness of the results. You know, like and and even if that means we're going to underachieve in the regular season the path that the Knicks are on and that they building towards both with the combination of the front office and the head coach the front office's ability to compile talent that is that oh god we were talking about this is it synergetic or synergistic which one's the drug one and which one's the right one (laughs) I, I think synergetic I think synergistic is the drug if the like so Damn, I'm not even sure if that's accurate. Fuck. And we looked All this right, up well, before because uh, I, I was trying to make sure that we said the right word, but then didn't reference it again. There's one way that you say synergistic, and it means that the the the, <laughs> the effects of ha- taking two different drugs that can uh, affect each other. But I don't remember what it is. Anyway, go ahead. Um, yeah. Insert I don't correct word that, here. I, I don't mean the drug one, people. Um, 
Yeah, so the front office's ability to compile talent that is really good and is synergetic, um, and then also the head coach's ability to scheme, get the guys to play, man. Like to me, the floor is so high, and it's almost raising the ceiling by accident. Like even if Tibbs himself isn't exactly a ceiling raising coach, I just feel like they're they're just going to be so consistently good that they're going to give themselves chances. Um, to the point that I I don't have a problem if Tibbs is just the answer for the next you know four or five years. I, I think I'm there. Are you there? Or in spite of everything you've said, or are you do you still have questions? I'm not really there, and and that doesn't that's nothing against Tibbs. Like I, I think that Tibbs is a really really good coach, and he's grown and shown a lot this season and even last season. Like we're seeing like evolution from him. I think over over time and um and his principles defensively clearly are very effective. I think that he does a lot of things extremely well. I just need to see in the playoffs. And it's funny. Cause like, I'm not a do it in the playoffs kind of guy. I just like, I think you can do the do it in the playoffs kind of thing. When you have some reason to believe that a certain approach won't work well in the playoffs for the, because of the different contexts. And I think that it's cool. And if the, the Knicks play the Cavs again and they dominate them the way that they did last time, which I want to talk about that. I don't think they would. Um, you know, I think that that'd be awesome. And it's like Tibbs is the guy for the job if that's if that's the style that they're going to play. But if they play a team where they have to kind of get out of their comfort zone and, and play a little differently, I'm not sure that Tibbs is the guy. And so I think it's really is going to depend on the Knicks playoff matchups and playoff success, which will determine and, you know, whether we're actually shining a light on some weaknesses that Tibbs may have that may limit the ceiling of the team in the long run um, that don't actually come into play during the regular season. So I, I, to be honest, I think it's like it doesn't matter. It feels a little moot to me because I think the, the front office is committed to Tom Thibodeau and I think they're going to resign him and I think he's going to he's going to get extended and, and continue to coach here long term. So I think it's a little bit of a moot point, but where I'm, I'm definitely not at the spot where I'm like, you know, sign me up for for Tibbs and I think he's the guy to get us to the to the championship I I do want to you could respond to that real quick and I want to talk about the Cavs for a second and 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 some other stuff yeah I just want to say I I'm not sure he's the guy to get us to a championship either but like if I had to project forward for the Knicks next five seasons I feel extremely confident that the Knicks are going to have as many lottery tickets as possible in the crapshoot of the playoffs with Tibbs as the coach And when you combine that with the talent acquisition abilities of this front office that they've proven, I actually think that indirectly raises the team's overall championship ceiling. Like that's why I said indirectly, because I agree with you. I'm there are just going to be matchups where Tibbs' rigidity is going to be frustrating and hurt the Knicks and hamper them in a playoff series. But like if Tibbs on average is getting the Knicks to, you know, helping them be a a top four seed and extra time in the playoffs, that could be more valuable. Maybe if you're getting an extra, extra run at a playoff, because as you know, coaching is only a small factor. There's, there's so much variance, so much that, you know, even the players, the coaches can't control. It's just, you know, whether the shots falling, whether bounces break their way. And if you think Tibbs is worth an extra run across five years, that there's value in that, even if, even if there are negatives that will hurt in certain matchups. Yeah, I think that's such a strong argument. And I think that it's totally valid. I don't have much to rebut that with. The only thing I would say is that I do think the value of coaching is greater emphasized in the playoff context and the playoff environment. And so um, I think that, yeah, getting the Knicks an extra home game or something like that could be worth it. But like if you get in the wrong series and it's like, Tibbs is not going to win this series for us. Another coach would have been able to. That's where you'll, you know, we'll actually see. And it's just, it's, it's too hard to tell. And I don't think the Knicks are going to make decisions based on that possibility. So I just, yeah, I think they're, I think we're committed to to Tibbs moving forward. It's funny. It's, it's funny because we're such like, how could we possibly know, you know, like, like, oh, if another coach would have won them the series, but it is funny that we're coming on the heels or, off off the heels of the Knicks losing a series that I think it's very, very obvious that like any other coach would have won that series. And like, like well, actually if you, if you, Benji, Benji Ridholz put a, a, a poll out and said, um, 
if in the Nixon Heat series in the playoffs, if if the coaches were revert were switched, if the the Heat had had Thibodeau and the Knicks had uh, Spolstra, would the Knicks have won the series? And like eighty percent of people said the Knicks would have won the series with Spolstra. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, and not but like I, I'm I'm willing to take it a step further. I think maybe not. Of course, not any other coach because that would be disrespectful to Tibbs. But a coach specifically who would value who would have valued spacing and played Grimes more as opposed to the Josh Hart, RJ Barrett combination that just got destroyed. I feel very, very confident that that series goes a different way. If you have a coach who sees that earlier and like, how weird is it by the way, you know, not to rehash brutal memories, but how weird is it that Tibbs played Grimes 48 minutes in game five? It was almost like, (laughs) it was almost like he was like, he was like trying to prove that he was right. Like, fine, fuck you. I'll throw Grimes out there for 48 minutes and see what he does. And then Grimes played well. And he was like, oh, well, shit. You know, like, <laughs> I don't I don't have any yeah. other explanation for it. But it's just, it's so strange that he spent so much time playing Hart and RJ together at the two and the three, which is just, oh my God. I just... Anyways, let's talk about the Cavs. <laughs> Let, no, I, I, I totally feel you on that. Let, let's talk about the Cavs. I, the, the reason I wanted to talk about Cleveland um you know, they're with the Knicks, also one of the hottest teams in basketball. Um, debatable between those who's number one, but they're, they're those are the two teams. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot. So in a vacuum, who would you say are Cleveland's best five players in order? I'm not talking about EPM. I'm not talking about LeBron, any of that. I'm saying who would you, Jeff, say uh, are the, the Cavaliers' five best players in order slash most impactful players in order? I would go with Mitchell as a very, very easy number one. Mm-hmm. This is in a complete vacuum, not in their In a complete roles. vacuum, not in, well, yeah, in a vacuum, in, in, in as much of a vacuum as you can get to. Yeah, I got, I got it. <laughs> yeah. So I would go Mitchell, then Garland, then Allen, then Mobley, then Struess, I think. Struess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, it's really interesting to me and and I would probably agree with your I would probably agree with your listing actually in the exact order. Um I'm not sure, but I I I'm, we're close. Allen versus, versus Mobley is the weirdest to me. Not to me. Allen's clearly better than Mobley to me. That one's that one's easy for me. Um okay. So uh but I would say so it's interesting to me that their best lineup with over 250 possessions is actually the fourth best lineup in the league with over 250 possessions. And that lineup is Mitchell, Struess, Okoro, Dean Wade, and Jared Allen. <laughs> As you'll notice, <laughs> the, the the second best player that you have on their team and the fourth best player that you have on their team are not present in that lineup. Um, and in 452 possessions, this is a real sample size of close to 500 possessions. 500 possessions of a lineup is when you can start, in my opinion, from the from the data, start to really draw some conclusions without feeling like you, you got to throw it out. It's just not enough sample size. That's a reasonable sample size. 452 possessions. They are blowing teams away by 20.2 points per 100 possessions with that lineup that I just mentioned. That doesn't feature their second best player and their fourth best player. Um that's incredible to me. And it, my point is really just that the spacing with Mobley off and Dean Wade on who shoots 39% from three is so much better that however good you think Mobley is as, de- as a defender. And I think he's an amazing defender. It doesn't come close to account for how much better they are on offense. And two, it doesn't really, they don't really lose much whether Garland plays or not. And, and, and I'm saying that you know, not really definitively, but I, I, I believe this and I kind of always suspected this because this doesn't say that Garland isn't an incredible player. He is. Garland is awesome. I love Darius Garland, but there's only one ball, as we know, and Mitchell and Garland are pretty highly redundant, in my opinion. And I've had this underlying view for a long time. I'm going to get major hate for this. I know. And I'm probably on an island. I think even you might disagree, Jeff. I don't think you need two primary creators to play off of one another. I think that this applies to Brunson and Randall. And I want to be clear. I'm not saying it's a negative, right? I'm not saying I said, you, I don't think you need two primary creators to play off one another. I'm not saying it, it's, it's hurts you to have those. So I don't think the Cavs are better without Garland on the court. I do think they're better without Mobley on the court at the four. 
I just think you're not getting as much out of Mitchell and Garland when they're both on the court because they're kind of like metaphorically tripping over each other. And I think it's the same dynamic with Brunson and Randall um, because they both have such a high variety of skills at such a high level. They're just threatening enough with the ball to command so much attention that the team is just able to, you know, perform just as well with them on the court together. But do they need them both? Uh, is there a construction you can imagine with a player who isn't as good as Garland, but who is less redundant and more additive with Mitchell that they can por- perform just as well, if not better? I would say absolutely yes. And I think to bring it to the Knicks, is there a team that you could imagine with a player who isn't as good as Randall, but who is less redundant and more additive with Jalen Brunson and they can perform just as well, if not better? I would say absolutely yes. And yeah, I, I'll let you respond to that. And then I have I have another hypothetical question to ask you. So I agree with you, but I think I'm going to be a little bit more tempered because I think a second initiator is important. Like, I don't think that you can win with one guy just doing everything. I think, I think as we saw, you know, and I know Brunson's a little bit limited by size, but he's legitimately one of the most skilled players in the entire NBA. I think that especially if it's a guard, if you have one guy who can do everything, even if you let the rest of the team play four on five, the best defenses can recover so well that you need you need to be able to immediately make teams pay if you're if you're sending doubles at one guy. And I think that that would just always be the answer. I agree with you that like Dean Wade is better at power four, like like and. When Mitchell is at his best and people are playing off him, Darius Garland is basically being forced into a role that like Max Struess is just playing now. So it's like, who's better at being Max Struess, Max Struess or Darius Garland? Like, of course, Max Struess is going to be better at spacing and shooting off the catch because that's, I shouldn't say, of course, Garland's a good shooter in himself, but I'm just saying that Garland is so used to having the ball in his hands that there are going to be diminishing returns when Garland and Mitchell play together. I agree with that, but that doesn't mean that it's not necessary and it's not, I know you said it's not a negative, but there, there is merit to it still, because I just think, I I don't think it's reasonable to expect Mitchell to just create offense every time down the court. And I'm using Mitchell as an example. I don't think it's reasonable to expect any one player to create offense down the court. It's just too hard especially if you're trying to win a championship, you have to do it for four different playoff series. Like that's just so tough. Eventually you're going to need to show different, different looks to the defense. You grant, you're going to need to give your guy a break. I think what this highlights to me is how much of a bummer it is that Brunson and Randall aren't more interactive as players because unlike Garland and Mitchell, who are both guards and you know, it's harder for them to play off each other there's a world where Bronson and Randall can be more interactive and elevate each other more so that the returns are less diminishing. And it remains surprising uh, past the halfway point of year two that Bronson Randall pick and rolls basically just don't exist. Like that is the way to get both involved and to have both be threats in the same play. So the returns are less diminishing. Um, I, I just want to jump because I don't really, I, I don't agree with you. Like I, I think that, I think that just because they don't play the same exact position, like they're not both guards, doesn't necessarily mean that there's a way to make them more interactive. Because I think that what you just said, Brunson Randall picking roles, like Randall is not going to roll hard like that. Like that's not the kind of player he is. Like I, I just, I know I, I agree with you. I'm, I agree with that. I'm saying it's too bad that he's not that type of player. But but I guess my point is like that would make him a different player, right? Like if he was that kind of player, he wouldn't be Julius Randle. He'd be a different guy, you know? He's he he's been I mean, he was a role man in New Orleans. I have no idea why he came to New York and just decided to stop being a pick and roll guy. <laughs> yeah, I don't know um, either, but he doesn't do it. He was awesome at it at some point, but that's just not how he plays. I don't I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm I'm but I'm saying I'm saying for Mitchell and Garland, there's if you can they run, can't, they Garland, couldn't do it. I see what you're saying. You're saying they it. couldn't do it, but like it, there was a, it was feasible for the for Randall to play that way. Is what you're saying? Okay. Yeah, it's I, feasible, I gotcha. and we've seen him specifically do it. I mean, look, I'm not saying, of course, I'm not saying Randall's Jokic, but the ideal version of what I'm talking about is Murray Jokic. 
Like those two are both the two best versions of themselves that they could possibly be. And nobody, nobody would say, actually, actually, if you put Murray in a different environment where his usage is even higher, he'd be an even better player. No, Murray would get worse, obviously, because Jokic elevates him in ways that a more time with the ball wouldn't wouldn't make up for. Like Embiid Maxi too, right? Right. You have combinations of guys who are both high usage options, two initiators. And if they're interactive, they can elevate one another. So I do think that that is, I I still believe that that's the highest form of current basketball right now is to have two multiple options because it's just going to be too hard for one guy, unless it's the right, like even LeBron, even LeBron, the years that he had to do it all by himself, it just, the teams, it's just impossible to, not impossible. It's really, really hard to make a team good enough to win four postseason series. It's just a really difficult thing to do with one primary initiator. So I think that's a strong argument. Let's say I agree with you about the, the ideal way to go is to have two synergetic synergetic initiators, right? Now I can't even say the word anymore. But <laughs> let, let, let's say that, let's say I say that that is optimal. That's optimal. Have two synergetic initiators that are not redundant with one another. I do think that that's optimal. Like you just mentioned two. Well, we just mentioned two scenarios where that's the case. There aren't many where that's the case. Like it's a rare situation. I I don't think it's common that we see that. We often have two guys who are really good, but that are redundant, like with one another in a lot of ways. Like we don't see this perfect synergy in most cases. So what's the second most optimal option is what I'm really asking you. Not what's most optimal, but like, would you rather have this one primary initiator surrounded by you know, defensive insulation and shooting, or would you rather have two guys who are like, kind of like don't really work well with each other, but are really great in, in of themselves. So I'm going to flip a question back to you. Let's say we could clone OG and an OB. Dude, I have, I, I, okay. I just need to stop the pod for a second. I, my hypothetical that I want to ask you is a clone question, but it's not OG, but that's hilarious that you, that, that, okay, go ahead. This blew my mind that you came up with a clone. You cannot cut this. The people need to know how freaking insane we are. (laughs) Unlike, unlike Donovan Mitchell and uh, Darius Garland, we are synergetic. We are yeah. doing drugs. We are doing drugs together. We you know, are whatever. doing we, drugs we, we're, together. We're, was we're, a thought that I had too. Dude. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I actually looked it up. Synergetic is the wrong one. Synergistic Damn. is the one we're trying to say. All right. Synergistic. So we've been, Fine. We've been junkies this whole pod. That's okay. Yeah. Um, let's say you could clone OG Ananobi. Like that was just an option, but uh, I don't know, whatever. Make up any parameters you want, but you could clone OG. Do you think the Knicks would get better if you just removed Randall and replaced OG with a, with yeah. with a second OG and an OB? Yeah, I feel very, very, very strongly yes. Obviously, we can't know, but my intuition is so is very strongly yes. Yeah, I think so too. It sucks that I use that as an example. <laughs> I think I think they would do that. It's because you went to OG. Like if you went to, I mean, there's probably not a. That's probably the only player you could go to that would even make it a realistic conversation. So, yeah, yeah, because they'd have the size, they'd have the shooting. It just, I still feel like it would be putting a lot on Brunson's shoulders. Like, I think, I think it's really hard to capture what Randall does. Like, and I, God, why did the conversation always come back to Randall? But like, I just think that. Let me let me, let me ask you. Let me ask you my hypothetical. My my crazy right. hypothetical. So my hypothetical was: Would you rather have Jalen Brunson and Julius Randall, right? Or would you rather have two Jalen Brunsons, no Randall, two Jalen Brunsons, and the caveat is that those two Jalen Brunsons couldn't play together. So option one is Julius and Jalen, you know, and the Knicks at full strength. Option two is we trade Julius somewhere. We get the magic of cloning that you just used. But the NBA puts out this rule. You can't play any clones together at the same time. Sorry. Who would you, what team would you rather have? I would definitely rather have the Randall. I don't see how. I would rather have two two Jalen's. That's absurd, though. I'm sorry. That's too strong. I need to not use strong words like that. In my in my instant reaction is that's absurd, and I'll tell you why. Tell me because why. Because you're you're getting 48 minutes instead of 70 minutes or whatever. So those. What do you mean? They can't play together. Yes, but my point is that I think that Brunson with a surrounding with the surrounding cast that we have. 
is more effective than Rand than Brunson or just as effective with than Brunson and Randall because they clash. They they bring That's each other down. I know. I would rather have ninety percent of Brunson and ninety percent of Randall for seventy minutes than a hundred percent of Brunson for forty eight minutes. The extra twenty two minutes is so valuable. Uh, you're not getting extra minutes though. You're getting you're getting extra minutes of a of a less uh, a less well, in my in my mind a less efficient like offense. So like, why would you how want more you, time to you, have a less a, be, not, a less good how are you offense? Not getting how are you not getting extra minutes? I'm saying you're getting more time. You're you're getting extra minutes in total, like in terms of like just bodies being out there. But I'm saying you're getting more time of a worse product is is what I'm arguing. So why would I want more time of a worse product? I'm I'm lost. <laughs> okay. All right. Here, let me let me let me, me, let me, the, the let me break it down. Individual impact is like like the most these two are playing is 24 minutes a game. They're playing 48 minutes total. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. you have to replace. You also have to replace the other 48 minutes. Well, you mean the other. 11 minutes or the or other, the like other that. 20, the other 22 minutes. All right. I'm getting lost. So this was not a good hypothetical. I, <laughs> that's my getting, bad. That's I, my I'm, bad. I'm, <laughs> they're averaging 30. You do you agree that Brunson and Randall are averaging 35 minutes a game right now each around? Yes. Mm-hmm. They, the Brunson and Brunson clone would be capped. Yeah. 24 each. Play, right. Yeah. Well, not, not capped at 24 each, but they could only play each play 24. If they so both play even the if, same amount even of if they're better, which I agree because Brunson's better than Randall, yeah, you're still getting fewer minutes. So you need to you need to also make up for the extra minutes that you're losing because yeah. you're getting. And I'm saying that the Knicks have so much depth and are so good with Brunson at the helm and surrounding him. So here's what I'm saying: I'm saying Brunson, uh, Divincenzo, OG. Um, let's say Grimes and Hartenstein, or we can even say Hart and Hartenstein, whoever you want to put out there. I think that that lineup is going to be better than Brunson, Randall, uh, OG, Hartenstein and Hart or whoever it is. Like, I think that that lineup is going to be better. So now I see how how you're relating this back to the Cavs conversation. Yeah, exactly. I'm saying that I'm saying that I'm taking out Garland instead of having Garland. Now I just never Mitchell never leaves the court. I just always have Mitchell at full power. I don't have a tired Mitchell. I don't have a a drained Mitchell. I don't have a Mitchell. Oh, he's been he's been carrying the team. He can't keep doing this. He can't possibly keep doing this. He's going to be exhausted. No, I have a maxed out Mitchell at all times on the court always instead of having a Garland who is is redundant with Mitchell. That's my point. Yeah. Um, and if I, you if you ask the, if you just real quick, I know I cut you off because you're about to talk. If you ask the Cavs this question, I think they would have to say they'd rather have two Mitchells than have a Mitchell and a and a Garland. The same question because their their team has been so much better without Mitchell and, and I mean without Garland. And I'm giving you the option to just have that all the time. Like you just always have that. You never have to go to someone else. You never have to. Oh, okay, Mitchell's off. How do we buy him? You know, six minutes. We let Garland run the team, and it's not as good. Like you just always have this maximum strength offense and or or uh, overall product. Yeah, I guess, I guess I see what you're saying. I get yeah. That's interesting. I'm I'm a little flabbergasted right now. This is great podcast <laughs> making. So I'm just. I'm trying to make sense of it um, or not make sense of it. I, I have made sense of it. I'm trying to figure out what my answer would be because I definitely am leaning. I see what you're saying and I get it more now. Um, and the Knicks do have the depth. Unfortunately, they have like, the depth. Right. Exactly. You have to have the depth. I gotta be honest. I feel stronger about cloning OG than cloning, cloning Brunson. Yeah. I didn't think you were going to bring that up. The cloning OG thing is awesome. Yeah, for sure. That I feel, I feel strong because you don't even have a parameter around it. Like we could just play them together. Like it's, it's over. If, if we just have two OGs, it's over. Like what, who's going to score? Like it's, it's ridiculous. We have the best spacing and the best defense. Like it's over, you know, like I feel very strongly about that, but like, that's why I put that parameter because I, if I said you could play the Jalen's together, uh, would you, would you still say Julius? Oh no, I would, I would, I would, 
The thing that's making me lean in your direction is actually them not being able to play together. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's my point. The more, yeah. The more, the more I think about it. Yeah. The whole point We're is, talking. oh, who are we going to bring in? We're going to bring in uh, Jordan Clarkson to run the team when Jalen's off the court. You're going to like torpedo the uh, like the offense enough or, and the defense enough that like Jalen's coming in on the court, not to like build a lead or maintain a lead to like make up for the deficit that you put the team in with Jordan Clarkson on the court. If you just had Brunson again, you wouldn't need Randall. Like that's my, that's my contention. At least obviously I could, this is a hypothetical and I'm just throwing it out there. I'm just saying what my intuition says, but this is, this is the point that I'm trying to get at. Yeah. I have no further thoughts besides no other podcast <laughs> has ever had this conversation ever. This, this, <laughs> This is, this is absurd. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's an awesome thought. Though. But I do, uh, yeah. I do agree. I think I agree with you. I think I agree with you now. I think, I think if they could play together, my my initial pushback was just the minutes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear also, that. And then also, obviously, like in theory, Brunson and Randall, as non synergistic as they have been they're more synergistic than Brunson and Brunson would be playing together. So that was my initial pushback, but the caveat of they're not allowed to play each other, play together. And it's just, okay, you're building a team that somehow is getting super Brunson for 48 minutes a game. And you just have to maximum Brunson at the, for the entirety of the game. Yeah. And you just have to find shooting. Cause it's almost like now that you've shined a light on it, it's almost like because you have the second initiator, and they do play together sometime, you're not getting the maximum version of either of them when they do play together. Exactly. That I mean, this is what <laughs> this is all the things that I'm trying to get at with the hypothetical. I know it was confusing. I'm sorry that it no, was. No, like but you fucking... just you got me there. This is like this is like this is like helping me realize football sucks. You know, this is that <laughs> version of that. <laughs> um, yeah, we're, I, we're, I get it. That now. won't be the I wish uh, this is the inverse of when I tried to explain the uh, the door question, the, the Monty Hall problem, oh, the Monty Hall problem. Yeah. And you yeah. were like, yeah, your way of explaining sucks. I guess this is what we're figuring out. <laughs> I'm bad at explaining and you're good at it. You're, you're <laughs> no, it didn't work. Clearly it did. It was a terrible way of explaining it. But but yeah, I think you're getting at all the themes that I'm, you're getting at all the themes that I'm trying to like talk about with this hypothetical. Right. The 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 idea that part of the issue is that you're getting this watered down player. And that's why I even believe that if we I mean, you could even ask it a different way. Would you rather have Brunson and Booker um, instead of Randall? And but they can't play together. Like I would still rather have Brunson and Booker than than have Brunson and Randall who can play together. Like I, I would. That, that's the choice I would make. Brunson and Mitchell. I'd rather have Brunson and Mitchell than Brunson and Randall. Like you know what I mean. That even if they couldn't play together, that's how I feel about it. So you're just really down on the minutes that Brunson and Randall do play together. I think they play really well together. It's not even like that they don't play together. I think that they play really well together in spite of their lack of cohesion. And the reason is because they're both really good players. It's like, this sounds like I'm so down on Randall. I think Randall's really good. I think Randall's really good. I just think that I'm down on the idea that you need two primary initiators in spite of the fact that they don't, they, that they don't have this cohesive synergistic like connection that's my that's what i'm down on that that's that's but where isn't, i'm coming there's from a, isn't there something to the idea that like 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 let's use an old nick uh let's use quickly because i i think quickly is like one of those additive pieces that's just good with with anyone yeah, yeah. i think it's inarguable that quickly would be a better fit with randall than brunson is like they would max they, they would yeah, elevate each other for sure ends of the court yeah but right now as current players isn't Brunson enough better that it super that it, that it overrides the fit games? Yeah, that like I think 90 percent so. of Brunson and ninety percent of Randall is still better than a hundred percent of Quickly and a hundred percent of Randall. I think so. That, yeah, I think so, so. It's close, but I think so. Yeah, um, and that's probably why you know you look at some of the on off data. I know that's noisy, but like quickly and Randall outperformed Brunson and Randall exactly. you know, when, when they played together. Like, like that's, it's weird, weird to say, but like, um, right. But still, I, I do think, you know, we, we can put quickly back in Toronto. He doesn't need to, you know, wish him the best, but he doesn't need to be. The point is, is that I do think that like, even though to your point, because 
Brunson and Randall aren't synergistic. They're not maximizing themselves in the way they would if you put a role player who three and D guy next to Randall as the point guard, or, you know, a role player or an OG clone in Randall's place, just because Brunson isn't a hundred percent maximized right now, the way he would be in that iteration of the team, that doesn't mean they're not still better. Right. Like it's still, it's still possible that the skill is so overwhelming that they're still just better, even if it's not optimal. I agree. Yes. That's exact. I 100% agree with that. Yeah. Um, I'm just saying my thesis, my intuition says that they would be better, but I I can't prove that, of course. Yeah, and I I do think that like you're moving me closer towards right now the ideal team build is two synergistic stars who can elevate one another. Agreed. But if you can't if you can't have that, then maybe just one carrying the load and then surrounding him with additive pieces could be the second most optimal team build. 100%. That's what I'm going for. Second most optimal, because I agree with you, Jokic and, and Murray, you know, Embiid and Maxi, that's ideal. That's like what you go for. You're not going to beat that, but I'm just talking about second most because it's really hard to get two guys that are that good and that work cohesively together. And in my, the, in the possessions that I looked at teams, uh, lineups with over full five man lineups with over 250 possessions, the best lineup was the one with Embiid and Maxi and, and other guys that fit around them. Like by far they were destroying the league, right? Like, and that just makes sense. But guess what? Who else is there? lineups where that is not the case um you have you have uh actually the third best lineup was the pacers with ob Toppin and bruce brown (laughs) you know like it's just there's I, i just think that that's the second best way to build a team if you can't get the first and this actually you know maybe we're getting to the point a little bit late um but this actually raises a little a really interesting point about big threes in general because you know like ever since uh Allen and KG went to Boston big threes in the NBA has always been such a talking point but if you look at the ones that failed and the ones that were successful the ones that failed were the ones where all three guys were guys who needed the balls in their hands and then the guy the 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 few that actually were successful like the current Clippers like the Heat like the the Cavs and like the Celtics it took somebody taking a backseat and finding other ways to, and almost taking on that role player role. Like, you know, Ray Allen, basically people, if you ask a modern NBA fan, what Ray Allen was, nobody has any idea what he could do in Milwaukee, how good he was with the ball in his hand, because he became basically a, an off ball shooter in Boston. And KG became basically just an interior defender who occasionally shot but they, but, but they both had to take a step back, and Paul Pierce was the, the guy whose initiation, and Rondo, you know, the, the rise of Rondo, he was a point guard, you know. So all of a sudden, the initiating was reduced. You know, you look at the heat, the, the heatles, Bosch, his usage just disappeared, you know, and what he was in Toronto was nothing like what he was in Miami. If Bosch didn't figure out how to be such an important cog of their defense, he would have fallen even further behind because that was so firmly weighed in LeBron's team. And then you have, you know, the Nets, which obviously they didn't play enough, but they basically, none of them, like like Harden's Harden's answer to sacrifice was, oh, I'll just be the point guard. But it's like, yeah, you're still going to have the ball a bunch. Like you still need to figure out there. There's only one basketball. And I guess the point is, is that to, to your point, two is optimal but if if even one with role players can work then there's no way three three initiators is going to work and the the knicks tried for a very long time to make it work but uh yeah i I just don't see that happening really and we see those dividends from moving an rj barry and this is why i'm i'm so fortunate and happy to do a pod with someone who has such an incredible memory because all of those situations that you mentioned off of your memory historically all of those players or some of those players are becoming lesser versions of themselves to maximize team success, but they're just so good that this lesser, lesser version of themselves, it still like creates an amazing like player, right? Like they can play that role 
and they're so good and they're so multi-talented that they can play that role and still be the best at that role. But is that maximizing that individual's player impact on the team? No. And my point is the best team builds is where no one has to become a lesser version of themselves. And that we see that obviously when two primary creators are perfectly synergistic and they work well through to together, no one has to become a lesser version of themselves. But when we don't have that, someone does. And that's why I'm, I'm proposing that the alternative, the second best build is still a scenario where no one has to become a lesser version of themselves. You just have less players who are, you know, redundant and, and everybody can be maximum themselves. And I think that that's, that's how you get the best out of a team. Unless you have guys that are just so good that their lesser version is still better than anyone else who would, who would play in that role. Yeah. that That's a really important distinction to make because of course you can make like if you could have three LeBron Jameses, none of them would be the best version of themselves. But give me three LeBron Jameses, I'll be exactly. fine with that. You know, because right. like, he's um, just so good and multi-skilled that he could do that. He could impact the game in all these different ways. You have one maximum defensive monster LeBron James. You'd have one, you know, high playmaking LeBron James. You have one like spotting up and cutting and dunking LeBron James. Like he can do all those things, and and you know he's still not being his maximum self, but he's still able to play, take on those roles at such a high level and i think this is your point about the knicks is that like rj wasn't good enough to not be maximized like what we're seeing in toronto right now is him being maximized and he's been good in toronto you know like uh, all the metrics are pointing upwards but it wasn't optimal or close to it for the knicks to say okay rj we already know you have like this limited skill set but what if we also made you a worse version of yourself like that's it's not fair to him and it's not ideal for the knicks so it should have been more obvious that replacing him with og well not to pat ourselves on the back but we both went on podcasts this offseason and said that that would be a really easy trade to make but it should have been it it was very clear that like replacing a, a, a suboptimal facsimile or whatever the fuck that word is. Um, <laughs> facsimile. Facsimile. Ugh, words. Um, facsimile of RJ Barrett. Someone basically being asked to be OG Ananobi would be worse than just being OG Ananobi than, than getting the real OG Ananobi. Exactly. 100%. And I, think you mean, I think you mean that with Randall almost too. Like as long as you have an elite initiator like at a certain point, Randall is going to be asked to be OG Ananobi when Brunson's dancing. And in the possessions, Brunson is doing his thing. The players playing off him, they are at their best when they're providing, when they're elevating Brunson's ability to be his best player. And of course, OG Ananobi would be a bigger threat off the ball than even Julius Randall. Well, Julius Randall's not shooting well this year, but even like a, a good shooting Julius Randall when he's shooting 37, 38%. Still not a threat off the ball that OG Ananobi is. Yeah, and I think Randall does command so much attention just based on his offensive ability that you're still like, uh, he still creates gravity even if you don't think he's going to shoot because if you let him catch it and have like a, you know, a, a runway ahead of him, he still can do some damage. So he's still going to command respect from an off from a defense, but we're just talking about, oh, who's going to be better for the offense, a second OG or a Julius Randall? We're not talking about defense because clearly there's no discussion to have there. If when you when you, when you're talking about oh it's it's questionable on offense and then you throw in the defense, it makes it not even a, a question because defensively, obviously, OG is going to provide three times the amount of defensive impact that Randall's going to. So, I I do think the Knicks and we as fans are missing a lot about Randall. Like it's hard it's hard to have this full conversation because. It feels like it's been so long since we've watched him play, you know. Like, and, um, <laughs> it's only it really four games, but sure. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing I don't miss though that like shines a light on the point you're making. When somebody has the ball, and Randall like just runs into the middle and plants himself there, and he's like, "No, no, no, this ain't your possession anymore, buddy." Like, and he just puts his hand up, you know. And it's like the guy has no choice but to throw him the ball. He has to give like, him the ball, yeah. Yeah, he <laughs> has to give him the ball because Randall's just planted there and he can't drive, you know. And so I don't think the second OG Ananobi would be doing that, you know. Like I think Brunson would. <laughs> I'm going to start doing that in pickup. I'm just going to run to the middle and just be like, no, no, no. This is my possession, big dog. You're going to give me that. You're going to give me the rock. 
That's oh, awesome, God. actually, now that you mention it's, it. Yeah, it's so smart that he does it. He's like, yeah, it's fucking my team, you know? <laughs> oh, I love that. And and okay, I want to say, because uh, we're going to we're gonna conclude Nick's talk in a second, but I want to say this is going to come off, I know, to Nick's fans who are listening to this as like huge Randall slander, Randall under underappreciation, forgetting how good Randall is, two-time All-NBA Randall, multi-time All-Star. This is not... This is not Randall slander. This is, I, I think what I'm talking about is an archetype, is a style of player, is talking about team building from in terms of, uh, you know, styles and abilities and skills. It is not about Julius Randall as a player. I think Julius Randall is an incredible player, an incredible offensive player, definitely an all NBA level player. Uh, definitely an all-star level player. I'm just saying that this is not about Randall not being good. I'm talking about building teams and what I think would be best for the Knicks as it as it comes to building a team. Yeah, I mean, I just felt like the caveat was necessary to say because I feel like that's it could be interpreted as like they're just shitting on Randall, but that's not what's happening. One thing I will say is that you do run the risk of like if you're like okay, well. We're not gonna have we 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 don't have two synergistic stars. Let's just let's just have one, and let's maximize this one star. You still need to replace that second star with the right guys. Like the Knicks have a luxury right now because OG Ananobi is the perfect role player, and Josh Harden Grimes, while not perfect, are good role players. And Dante Divincenzo, I should throw in that group as well, obviously. If you have those two guys, though, it's really difficult to be like, you know what? Like, we can just go get those guys. Like, the Knicks already have those guys. Look at the Dallas Mavericks, you know? Like, in my opinion, Luka is doing what Luka does best right now, and that is getting the absolute most out of guys who just aren't very good. But the Mavericks would kill to build a team that was luca and a bunch of plus 3d guys like a team of ogn and ob clones but they don't even have the first one to clone exactly yeah you know and they traded them (laughs) i I do think one piece what one thing your analysis missing is how difficult it is to find those guys because if you said to me like okay well what if i built a team that was like quickly Derek white luca ogn and ob and i don't know porzingis it's like okay, well, yeah, yeah Luca, Luca, can, <laughs> Luca, Luca can be the only initiator on that team, but that's a really—it's hard to just get one of those guys, you know. You're totally right, and I'm glad you brought that up. I guess my point is like, we talked about the optimal team build. I also think that's the hardest team to construct. So I'm talking about now. I'm talking about this. What I think is the second most optimal team build which may also be hard to construct, but not as much as the most optimal team build. And so I think there's like a, a, there's a seesaw there where it's like difficulty to construct versus like most optimal team build. And I think that for the second most one for where the Knicks are, it is like most easy to, to, to put together. But in terms of difficulty, there, there is just always going to be this trade off between difficulty to construct versus most optimal. So I think I want to end with a question that I have for you because it raised a really interesting question in my head. What you're unintentionally highlighting right now is that one of or both Brunson and Randall are flawed players, are flawed stars. Because in theory, as I brought up earlier, they should be able to be synergistic, somewhat synergistic. If if that's not the case, if they can't be synergistic and if they're just going to be dueling banjos operating at 90% of their effectiveness, doesn't one kind of have to go? Yeah, I think mind? so. I, I That's why I've always said that I think that you, you're not going to win a championship here with Randall as your, your you know, as the guy uh, or one of the guys. So, yeah. And that's that's not because Randall's not that good. If, if, if it was just Randall and not Brunson and somebody else who was as good as Brunson, but like better fitting with Randall, I think it could work that, that way, too. But who would that be? Nobody. <laughs> OK, I was going to say, who is I'm just trying to say, like, it's not a, it's not. <laughs> it sounds yeah, like but, what you're saying is that, like, no team should want Randall. Like, I'm not trying to yeah, put you on the spot. Here, I, I, I'm trying but, like, not to say sounds that. Like you're, it sounds like you're painting a picture where, like, it's almost impossible to win with Julius Randall on your team because he just won't he won't do the additive thing with anybody. 
yeah dude why are you making me say this i don't yeah i'm sorry i'm sorry yeah you're right this is fucked up cut that cut that you know (laughs) yeah yeah i'm trying not to say that but it's all right but yeah no i all jokes aside i I think i think it's more difficult to build it with randall for sure i have to i have to be honest actually this is a compliment i can give and you know again i'm gonna give people a little sneak sneak peek behind the curtain here Sometimes me and XJ just get on this call and our pod doesn't actually start for like an hour into our conversation because <laughs> we just shoot we can just shoot the shit and talk about every everything. And so like we start the podcast and we basically just pick up the conversation from what we were talking about before we hopped up before before he pressed the play button. Sometimes I forget that we're on a podcast right now. Like I'm just like, oh wait, yeah, you know, I, but I I shouldn't just say anything. I shouldn't just be like, wait a second. Is XJ saying that Julius Randle can't, you know, like, but no. Yeah, yeah. It's like, I'm saying, I'm intentionally not saying that, Jeff, because we are live on the air right now. No, it's, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, that that is how it is. And, and and that's how we want it to be. We want the pod to be feel like we're just having our same pre-pod conversation and just continuing. Um, and, and hopefully people enjoy that. But I think this is a super interesting discussion. Like, and like you said, this shit ain't happening anywhere else. Like nobody's yeah. talking about cloning uh, OG and cloning Brunson and, and what those dynamics would be like and what they would mean to a team. So I think, it, not, I think not it was even an interesting the clo- not, not even the cloning aspect specifically. I just think the whole conversation was really good. You know, yeah. like I don't know how many other people are trying to figure out which team build is better and, you know, d- weighing the pros and cons. So look, more shit you don't hear on a podcast kudos to us pat pat on the back you know like that was that was that was good stuff <laughs> um I, good I, stuff. I don't know i don't know i don't know who those clones were last week who were saying that palo bancaro is overrated that was that couldn't be us you know we should have never let those clones get on the pod it was it was a bad idea but um we're back and uh you know we're, we're, <laughs> we're level-headed now so we're not saying crazy shit anymore yeah. Um, although we, we did, we, we definitely aren't like hating on the magic and saying Franz Wagner should have been an all-star, you know, saying, saying blasphemous stuff like that. Yeah. That's some hate. That's pure hate to say that Franz should have been an all-star pure hate for Paolo is what that is. Um, that's how I interpret it anyway. <laughs> uh, good talk. Let's, let's, let's end the Knicks talk there. Good stuff. 